IEDs, improvised explosive devices. We've seen them used by the IRA in Ireland, the Viet Cong in Vietnam, they're in Iraq, and they're part of everyday life in Israel. What do you know about the science and the medicine in treating the survivors? You're listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focusing on disaster medicine. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me is Dr. Mauricio Lin, Director of the Trauma Resuscitation Unit, Ryder Trauma Center at Jackson Memorial Hospital, Miami. If you don't know Ryder, I'll tell you that it's a state-of-the-art trauma center launched by the late Dr. Robert Zeppa in 1992. Dr. Lin has 18 years of military experience in the Medical Corps of the Israeli Defense Forces. He's currently a full-time faculty member in the Division of Trauma and Surgical Critical Care at the Miller School of Medicine. He's renowned internationally in the area of military and disaster medicine, and he's widely respected by his colleagues, residents, and patients everywhere. We're discussing treating the survivors, the science and the medicine behind explosive devices. Welcome, Dr. Lin. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. First, tell us a little bit about your background. You started out as a surgical resident. You worked with the IDF, and that probably had everything to do about where you are today. Yeah, I joined the Israeli military after finishing my medical school, and I joined them in 1982 for a compulsory service of a few years, and then actually decided to continue with a military career, which included my residency in surgery, in general surgery, and also a fellowship at the Ryder Trauma Center in Miami in the early 90s. Overall, 18 years with the IDF. You've seen everything. You've seen everyday life. You've seen explosives before America was even concerned and aware that it was a problem. It must have been tremendous in terms of what it did to your career and how it affected your life. It's an interesting experience, but I don't. I cannot say that I saw explosives before America saw that because America had their own wars and their own military experience in World War One, Two, uh, Vietnam, Korea, and other uh, places in, worldwide. And I think in terms of American experience with explosives, I think it's very good. Many publications, many, much research was done by American doctors and American researchers. The urban part that needs to be probably given a little more attention. Right. The military, of course, it's always been part of their life, but civilians in America were fortunately never affected the way Israel was for all those years. But very few health professionals have experience with explosive-related injuries. Vietnam-era physicians are retiring. So how do you approach teaching trauma to civilian doctors who've never seen it before? What do you use? There's a few things that you can compare to a civilian life. First of all, there's lectures on blast injuries, and we introduce this to our medical school at the University of Miami. People that rotate through their trauma service, the medical students that rotate through the trauma service, they actually have a lecture on blast injuries. The residents have lectures on blast injuries and also grand rounds. I give lectures on blast injuries, and I think that's important because it's not really in our trauma books the science behind blast injuries and the way to manage them. So we're trying to introduce that to the medical community from the time they are young and medical students, and that's important to start it at that time. The second is the similarities with urban problems that we see is the burn aspects. Blast injuries can be classified into primary, secondary, tertiary, and quaternary blast injuries. Primary is the pressure effects. Uh, secondary blast injuries are related to the shrapnels. Tertiary blast injuries are those who occur from the landing of the victim. If they land on a sharp object, they will have a penetrating injury. If they land on a blunt object or on the cement, they will have blunt trauma. And 
quite a narrow injury is actually related to burns. So you can actually see some blast injuries, quote, quote, in victims from looking into the engine of their car and then an explosion occurs and they can have burns on their face with an inhalation injury. And sometimes they can have also a blast injury to their lungs if it's in very proximity to the explosion. So, yeah, you can, you can teach them by doing theory, lectures, and then whenever a patient like that that I just described arrives to the trauma center, get to the way to kind of fit them in into the blast injury protocols. Does it matter what caused the blast, the type of explosive device? It does. It matters. The blast effects are related to the size of the TNT and the distance of the person to the explosion. And then it also relates to the time of the explosion. So if it occurs very fast or very quick, it's, I'm talking about, give you a proportion, it's milliseconds. So if the explosion occurs for 40 or 50 milliseconds, it will have another effect on the body than if it explosion that occurred over 10 or 20 milliseconds. So all this can have effects on the body. The second thing is we've been seeing bombs where the people that make those bombs, actually they introduce in the bombs nails and sharp objects or little metal balls, so they have a higher, they produce actually a worse injury by having all these little objects inside the bomb. For those of you just joining the channel, you're listening to a special segment focusing on disaster medicine and ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mauricio Lin, Director of the Trauma Resuscitation Unit at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami. So what else do you see in a blast injury? What about the lungs? What happens to the pulmonary circuit? Is it like a burn or an inhalation? The major things that we see from a blast injury to the lungs is actually the pressure effect, which can cause uh, severe intraparenchymal hemorrhages, hemonemothoraces. These patients have a respiratory failure. They usually need to be intubated and on a mechanical ventilator. And since now they're being ventilated with high pressures, with positive pressure ventilation. They can have also a connection between the blood vessels, alveoli, the capillaries and the alveoli, and therefore they can also have air embolism. So it's a catastrophic problem. Very difficult to manage these patients. High mortality if it's in closed spaces because of the severe lung injuries. I understand air embolism has to be thought of and looked for, correct? It's If you're not trained in trauma, you may not be suspecting it. Right. You have to look for, and one of the easy things that can be done is to have a patient put in a prone position, if possible. Usually it cannot be possible, but in a prone position or with a head-down position, meaning a Trondellenburg, where the head is lower than the legs, and therefore the little bubbles, if they are in the heart, they can actually stay in the heart and not go to the brain or the areas. What about ocular injuries? They're very common after blast attacks in survivors? Yes, ocular injuries, they vary somewhere between 5 to 25% of the victims' explosions will have eye injuries, somewhere between 5 to 25%. This has been seen in most of the explosion in Israel and the explosion in Oklahoma City in the 9-11 towers in New York and in other, Paris, in other areas in the world, like Paris, where there was some explosions also in the 80s, 
everywhere where there are explosions that will have ocular injuries. And that demands a very high-skilled professionals, such as eye doctors with very advanced, be able to manage these patients in the operating room. Dr. Lin, it's so intense, but what's the most gratifying thing about your work? What do you get the most satisfaction in by the end of the day? For a trauma surgeon, the most gratifying part is to have somebody arriving in extremis and dying, and the next day he's in the intensive care unit being extubated, doing well, stable, talking to you. Those people are usually young, and it's very gratifying to see that you were able to save a life. In a disaster perspective, it's very gratifying to go out there to other hospitals and try to help them set up their disaster preparedness plan, participate with them in drills, and see that there is a timely improvement in their response. Can you share with us any stories about survival and the human spirit of people that came through disasters or trauma that that maybe one would think that they shouldn't have, but their will to live or their outcome was incredible? Yes, there was uh, actually a patient that came in uh, probably a year ago to the trauma center, and she had a stab wound to the chest, to the heart, and came in in complete cardiac arrest for about 10 minutes. And we actually had to do the operation immediately when she arrived, trying to save her life. She was in cardiac arrest, complete cardiac arrest. And we did an operation in the trauma bay. Not even, we didn't have time, obviously, to take the patient to the operating room. So we did everything in our trauma admitting area. And then her heart came back. After we closed the hole in the heart, the heart came back. And we took her back to the operating room just to do some so polishing and uh, cleanishing and, and closing basically the chest. And patient remained in coma for about a week, and we thought that this was going to be it, her outcome. But after about a week, she woke up and she left actually the hospital with no neurological damage. And see, that shouldn't have happened. All the statistics, all the odds, all the arrival stuff, it shouldn't have happened, but it did. And you saw her walk out. Yes. Dr. Lynn, with all your, your experience worldwide and in the United States, You've seen a lot of history as well. What do you think Americans should be focusing on September 11th? I think the main issue today in the United States is the turfing wars between uh, institutions, organizations, universities, or all the people that are dealing with disaster preparedness. If you think about it, uh, before September 11th, there was no disaster centers in America. There was no people thinking too much about disasters. And things have changed, and suddenly there's more disaster centers or people that are managing or trying to manage disaster planning more than any time else, I think, in American history. And there's a lot of funding that goes out to the institutions, and we have to be very careful what we do with those fundings. And I think maybe we should stop the turf war and work together and learn from one another learn from international experience, learn what was done in other places and try to apply it. And and that's probably one key point that I would say that would actually bring us to the next step. So it should be unity. And they say if you don't learn from the mistakes of the past, you're doomed to repeat them. You're saying unity in the communities and the trauma centers and the preparedness. Unity and between physicians, unity between the first responders, that's including the police and including the fire department and including the EMS system, to have unified approach, one thing, and second thing, 
do many, many drills. I think what we're missing today in America, if there's one thing that I would suggest that we change after this coming September 11, is to do less conferences on disaster preparedness and more drills. We need drills. We are not drilling enough. We are doing tabletop drills, and we think that tabletop drills will resolve all the problems, and we do not do live drills in our communities. And I think that's a big change that needs to be made. Thank you, Dr. Lin. You're welcome. We want to thank Dr. Mauricio Lin from the Ryder Trauma Center for being our guest today. We've been discussing the science and medicine behind treating the survivors of explosive devices in disaster medicine. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to a special series focusing on disaster medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, including this segment, visit us at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.